Well, welcome back once again to Talking With Tech. My name is Luke Stuber, joined today by Rachel Madel. How are you? I'm doing so well, Lucas. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I imagine you uh, have better weather down there than we do. Uh, it's so gorgeous today. I've been working all day, so I haven't been outside. I just went outside for lunch and didn't want to come back in. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're so excited to, to do the recording. So today, it's uh, as we record, it's the day after St. Patrick's Day. And here in Portland, Oregon, there's always a big uh, St. Patrick's Day marathon that runs right in front of our house. And so we couldn't get out of the house all day because of this marathon. And then right after the marathon ended, a train derailed right in front of our house. So <gasps> it's been kind of a fun, uh, fun, fun day. We haven't been able to get anywhere. Um, but I think I could leave now probably. Wow, that's really intense. A train derailing. Is I, everyone okay? Uh, yeah, nobody was hurt. It was just a little cargo thing, only a few. But I, you don't really hear about that happening in this this day and age. <laughs> well, um, whatever news aside, I'm really excited to share our interview today. So we have Warren Enders um, coming on. He's one of these, uh, you know, just really great minds, I think, in our field. And not only a great mind, but somebody who shares, um, you know, a lot of her knowledge with the community, which is awesome, right? I mean, that's what we need is more people like that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we we both have, you know, sort of intersected with her here and there, as, as well as, uh, of course, Chris, who can't be with us today, sadly. Um, but I, I'm trying to think of some of the uh, some of the big stuff that, that Warren has shared over the years. So she's obviously done a lot of stuff with Practical um, AAC, which is a, an awesome website. I highly recommend as a resource. Um, but what else? So the, you, you had mentioned this um, AAC bootcamp piece. First of all, I love Lauren. She's such, if you haven't heard her speak, she's fantastic. Talk about a practical presentation. Every time I walk out of one of her talks, I have like new apps to try and fresh ideas. So I just, I just love her. Um, but yeah, she has, she developed something called AAC Bootcamp. It's definitely all over Pinterest these days because um, Lauren's really active on Pinterest. I love her Pinterest page. But yeah, it's just, it's really great uh, resource for clinicians to print out. It just goes over kind of the do's and don'ts when you're working with AAC. Um, and it's just such a, it's a really great visual. Um, and it's really easy to print out and to give to teachers and uh, parents and just kind of going over the the cardinal rules of AAC implementation. Yeah, perfect. Well, I like how you said that cardinal rules, right? So, so, so what are, what are some of the things? Yeah. Well, you know, why I just said that is because I am actually presenting at Kasha uh, on Sunday. That's a huge chunk of my presentation. It's the 10 cardinal rules of AAC implementation. So I think it's like on my brain. And I actually am showing this visual because I feel like it's so powerful and it's just kind of overviews basically a lot of what I'm, I'm talking about in my, in my talk. You know, of course, the first one is modeling, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast, but it's literally the most important thing. We have to show users how to use their device and not only modeling, you know, obviously for the child, but I also, as a clinician, I need to show teachers how to model. And so I'm kind of modeling, modeling, which is like, I feel like I'm in the matrix right now, but <laughs> it's a huge part to kind of show. And that's something that I, I try to impress upon clinicians is like, we really need to show, not just talk about what to do, but just jump right in and show, you know, teachers, especially um, and parents how to do it. Perfect. Well, and when you're talking about teaching SLPs to teach teachers to teach kids how to model, then you're modeling, 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 right? I know. It's literally <laughs> <in> the matrix. <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting recursive, recursive modeling. Um, 
Right. So that's a specific visual that we're talking about. We'll get this up on the Facebook group as well. So you can always find us on Facebook. Uh, just, just look for Talking With Tech. There's a page and a group. Um, we'll make sure it's on there. Um, but I, I'm glad you're talking about this in, in your talk too. So, so what are some of the things? we got model, uh, presuming competence. I know that we've, we've talked about quite a bit. Um, another thing she talks about that we haven't actually talked a ton about is, is prompting, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so there's, there's a few different pieces here. There's prompt hierarchy, but then she's also uh, addresses speed of prompting, right? And this is something that I've seen people, and I've made the mistake tons in, in, in my own practice, is making sure that you give enough time after prompts, right? It's literally the hardest hardest thing. It's because I'm a really fast paced person. I have fast paced therapy. I'm like, listen, we only got, we only got 50 minutes. I'm going to get in. I'm like, we're going to do as much as we possibly can. So it's hard for me to slow down. And it's so important because nine times out of 10, we're jumping in way too soon. And I can say that even knowing everything that I know, and I teach people this, but I still have to remind myself to stop jumping in so quickly. And I love her, her, this visual, it says, wait 10 to 20 seconds with an expectant look before reprompting. And then she has in parentheses count in your head, which I've done. Cause it's like, it's so easy to just jump in and 10 to 20 seconds is a long time. It's so long. Oh, it's an eternity in that moment. Absolutely. (laughs) But I've seen it happen. Right. I mean, I've, I've, there was one situation I remember it was specifically something around 30 seconds Mm -hmm. um, with a student that a lot of folks had thought was you know, simply not functional with his device. And then all of a sudden got a very functional, intentional response after 30 seconds. So I'll, you know, kind of present something and I might get distracted with talking to a parent or, or something else comes up. And then all of a sudden I get a response and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so long. But like they were formulating a response and what they wanted to tell me. Um, and also the idea of the prompt hierarchy. Um, there's actually another really great visual by Rachel Langley. Um, it's beautifully done. It kind of has like green, yellow, red. You kind of want to stay in the green. And in the green, it just it's just not a high level of prompting. We're not telling kids to find a certain button or kind of giving explicit directions. Instead, we're just kind of waiting, you know, just giving a facial expression or a gesture to tell them, you know, we're expecting something right now, but we're not kind of leading them down with a lot, a high level of prompting. Right. So what is the concept of the prompt hierarchy then? So the, the idea is that we, we start with, with a minimal prompt, right, before going to maximal, um, mm-hmm. you know, prompting, which, which can go all the way, to, you know, to the end of physical assistance, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of a maximal prompt. But a minimal prompt can just be that, that expectation to begin with, you know, that silence, um, yeah. kind of uh, presenting what we sometimes would call communicative temptation. Absolutely. I'm like the queen of really intense facial expressions. <laughs> I don't say anything, but I just look at you like, what? Well, I don't know. What? <laughs> so it's just like something that I'm constantly reminding clinicians that I'm supervising. I've supervised CFY clinicians and um, speech therapy assistants. And I think we all could do a better job of, you know, just pausing more and not jumping in and asking too many questions and all these things. But it's easier said than done for sure. Yeah, right. Well, especially when you're, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty fast paced in my, in my therapy and my life too. So it's, it's hard to wait. Um, you know, one of the one that she mentions, uh, that I I think is great is, is the concept of babbling, right? So Mm -hmm. not, um, shutting down this sort of like purposeful play with the device. Is it something that you see in your practice kids doing? I absolutely do. And especially when you first introduce a device. And I think that part of the problem is that 
you know, a lot of the kids that I'm seeing are having assessments done and, you know, clinicians are determining that because they're babbling and they're hitting all these buttons and they're stimming on the device, it's not functional. And I'm like, you know, just the same way that babies, you know, have to play around with language when they're first introduced to new words. It's the same thing with AAC. You know, you put a new device with all of these buttons in front of a child, like, of course, they're going to play with it. Of course, they're going to hit the buttons over and over again and explore. Um, and, you know, I, I try to tell families that this is something that eventually with time, it, it decreases as they learn where all the vocabulary is and they get used to the device. But, you know, the most important thing is that we never, you know, remove the device. We never turn the volume off. Um, you know, that would be the equivalent of putting a piece of tape over a kid's mouth, you know, if they were verbal. And so it's just really important to, to allow for that exploration. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of folks don't, I remember my, um, way, you know, way back in grad school. Oh, so many years ago. Um, one of my, my first uh, supervisors, I had the honor of having an AAC rotation with a really fantastic SLP. And, um, there was a situation where a student's device was, you know, taken away because they were perceived as being disruptive with it. And, um, it was, it was interesting because it was, you know, this is a very, um, level-headed, uh, deliberate SLP. It was, you know, um, very calm most of the time who became very, very angry when that happened. Um, you know, and the message was basically that you keep taking this child's voice away. I mean, you can't do that to, yeah. you know, any other, you know, and like, obviously there are, um, you know, some certain conditions and behavioral expectations around, around when you're offering conversation, but a lot of that developmentally is much further down the line in terms of acquisition. Yeah. I had a similar uh, situation just recently and the client that I was working with on the device, um, she had the word cookie and she has diabetes and wasn't able to have cookies. So it was this big thing. Like we want to take cookie off the device. And I'm like, listen, I hear you. Like she's asking for cookies all day long. Like it's a problem and you can't give it to her. So there's a lot of kind of resistance, but we're just assuming that she's only going to use the word cookie to request. And, you know, she might want to talk about cookies. And even if she does want to ask for a cookie all day long, that's her right. She's able to do that because, you know, it's her voice. And it's so important to remember that we are the gatekeepers for what a child is capable of saying. And because of that, we can't decide, like we're, we're not God. We're not the people who get to decide you get to say this word, but you don't get to say this word. Um, you know, that's just the kind of therapy that I do not do, but um, it's just so important to remember that this is a child and they deserve to be able to say whatever they want. End of story. Right. And as an adult, I can verify that sometimes the things that I talk about the most are the things that I can't have. <laughs> like exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, talk about cookies. You can't have them. I feel like there's a, a, you know, a ton of content coming up here. So without any further delay, let's get into it. So we're excited to present to you Lauren Enders and some tips about AAC. Welcome back to another episode of Talking with Tech, brought to you by the Speech Science Network. My name is Lucas Stuber, and I'm joined here today by my colleague, Chris Begay. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic. So happy to be here. I'm so excited for who we're about to talk to. I know. Me too. So we have the incomparable Lauren Enders on the line today. How are you? I'm great. I'm That's great. great. How's, your, uh, how's your weather out there? It is better right now. We had, um, we had a nice little ice storm uh, I guess 
an evening ago and had a had a school delay yesterday morning and I'm still skating up and down my driveway, but it's warmer than it's been, which was has been absolutely frigid. So I'll take it. Yeah, yeah we I, had that too. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, we had that too, because uh, we're practically neighbors. Where are you exactly, Lauren? I am in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So I am kind of northwest. I'm terrible with geography, but from what I understand, I'm northwest of Philadelphia, about, about 40 minutes outside of the city, 45. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's why I thought of it. I, we don't we don't always talk weather, but I was thinking of both of you guys with what you've been going through right now. And uh, oh yeah, it's been here fun. in Portland, we have a nice, consistent thirty-two degrees and drizzle. So, uh, right. you know, if that's what you like, then that's what you got, and uh, that's about all you got. Uh, it's like, better than the eight or nine degrees we had last week. Yeah. Well, we we had a nice summer this year. It was it was a whole week. Um. So that was neat. Um. <laughs> Okay. Well, Lauren, what do you do up there in Bucks County? Yeah, totally. Okay. Well, I am, um, my background is I'm a speech language pathologist. However, um, for the past, I guess maybe it's nine years now, I am a full-time augmentative communication consultant. Um, so I, I work in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, um, and we have 13 member school districts, and I work for a, a county agency that's, that um, provides special services like speech, language, um, especially groups like augmentative communication, assistive technology, um, vision services. So we have all kinds of services that we provide, and the school districts are able to contract with us if they, if they so choose. Awesome. So let me ask, do you, were you like the first one? Like how has this been a thing that has just been happening for years and years and years? Or are you like, do you know what I mean? That's a good question. It, I actually um, am not the first one. Um, my colleague, Bill Ziegler, who's been doing this for quite a long time. Um, I'm not sure when they started the AT team, but he's been here for, for, I forget how many years. I think he's got 40 years in. So I'm not sure if it's 20, some, uh, 20, some 30, some at this, you know, where I work for at Bucks County intermediate unit. Um, he, there was a colleague that worked with him. He does, um, AT for curricular access and computer access and, and, you know, access to literacy, those kinds of things. Um, and then there's, a, there has been historically a person, a person that then also, um, supports AAC. So he's primarily curriculum. And then he's always had a colleague that has done augmentative communication for years and years. It was Marie Mark. Um, she retired maybe, I guess, nine years ago or something like that. Um, and then I had, um, I had some experience doing staff development and augmentative communication and AT consulting in my previous job at Delaware County Intermediate Unit. When I switched to Bucks County IU, um, it was a couple of years until Marie retired. But when she did, I um, took the opportunity to, to do what I love. So I became a full-time augmentative communication consultant. So we have had that going for a long time, but it has expanded recently in, in, in recent years. That's great. And I, I want to comment too, if he's listening, uh, Bill Ziegler, that's, that's one of my favorite names of all time. <laughs> I, I, every time I hear it, I, I love it. Um, so, so what are your, uh, you know, especially now that you've been doing this a long time, like how many, how many students do you serve? What does that look like? Gosh, I don't, I haven't counted recently how many students that I serve. Um, the way that we work it in Bucks County, we have probably the largest assistive technology team in the state. Um, we are very, very fortunate. There are four of us who do augmentative communication. There is Bill who does full-time assistive tech, um, like I said, curricular access, things like that. Um, but then we also 
also have um, an audiologist on the team. We have an occupational therapist who, uh, on the team. We have a vision therapist on the team. We have a hearing th- uh, teacher therapist on the t- team. So it's it's a really large team. Uh, so we have two full-time augmentative communication consultants and two that are a couple days a week. And we provide services to the 13 member school districts in our county. Um, and we just kind of break it up. We try to regionalize where, you know, I might have these three and a half school districts and somebody else has two school districts or, you know, depending on how much time we're allotted and how many you know days a week we're doing augmentative communication. So how does that work contracting wise? So, and, and let me, I guess, uh, clarify, because I think it's different in different parts of the country, right? Like in Pennsylvania, when you say there's, uh, the school districts are based in out of townships. Am I thinking of that right? Like there's a, there's a town that, that contracts to, to. Well, each, each school district has their choice if they would like to contract with the intermediate unit for special services, whether that be assistive technology, whether that be speech and language, and they can do some and not the other. You know, we have some, some school districts in Bucks County that they hire their own speech and language pathologists, but they don't have, um, they don't have consultants or specialists in assistive technology. So then they contract with us for those particular services. So they can pick and choose, you know, how they, they would like to do that. Gotcha. And is the contracting like per student or is it like, Hey, whenever we need you, you're like on retainer, like a lawyer. Hey, we got to call in Lauren. <laughs> we are pretty much assigned, you know, we're assigned to whichever school districts we're going to serve. Um, I'm not even really sure exactly how they go about. I mean, the the intermediate unit, our you know, our organization is is the one that um, makes those contacts and determines, you know, which districts we're serving for which services. And then, and then, um, for well, the way that it works for a student that I might serve is that every student, um, when the referral comes through, the referral has to come from their LEA. So um, regardless of what school they're in, whatever their home district is, you know, is, so that's the the district that's going to be responsible financially for their educational services. If, if a teacher says, okay, this student needs augmentative communication, we really need some support from the AAC folks on the AT team, um, then we require the intermediate unit that I work for, we require that that LEA submit a referral. We make sure that it's coming from the LEA because then it's saying um, that that LEA, that, that, that school district is aware that they are asking for our services and that then they could be charged for our services. Um, so it's really, it's all referral based. Um, and then each of the referrals has to come directly from an LEA in that particular school district. Gotcha. And so what does that um, consultant model look like? Like, What do you do as, as opposed to, let's say, the a direct services from a speech language pathologist? Okay, good question. So um, uh, quite a number of things. Uh, it could range from sometimes there'll be a request, okay, well, you know, we, we already know what kind of device this kid's going to use, but we don't know how to mount the device. So it may be something very specific that I'm being asked to support them with. But in many, many cases, I'm, come, I'm supporting from the beginning. So a referral comes in and then I say, okay, um, I'd like to come out and observe the student first. And then we initiate the set process, so student environment, task and tools, Joy Zabala's process of, you know, AT exploration. Um, and we have a set meeting. We sit down and we talk about what we know about the student, the environment they're functioning within, the tasks they need to be doing that are challenging, um, the tools they're already using. Are they working? Are they not already working? Um, and then, you know, my big role in there is to facilitate the meeting and then also to help with that last category 
of tools to explore. So I try to help synthesize what the team has shared with me about the student, the environment, and the tasks that need to be done. And then I say, okay, well, there's these features that, um, that we know that the student needs. I mean, I got it that the, the team gets together and you help facilitate the, the process by walking through, uh, well, asking them questions that they answer to help come to that tools component where you do the kind of a feature matching chart. Is that? Right. And then we then I'll suggest, okay, now that we know what those tools are, how are we going to get those? What's going to be the plan and who's going to, you know, who's going to implement this trial? How are we going to take data? So my role is not only to facilitate that set meeting, um, but then it is also from anything from helping acquire the device, set up and, and customize the device, train, um, whether it be the speech language pathologist, the teacher, the OT, whoever is working for, with that student, um, implementation kinds of trainings, like teaching about aided language, why we need to do that, um, showing that, you know, a lot, actual maybe going in and doing a, a group lesson where I actually go and co-teach so that they can see how I would model augmentative communication. Oh my gosh, Lauren, I have a thousand questions for you on everything you okay. just said. All right, so let, let me start. Okay, the first question is, the, the team that meets, meets is it a school-based team or is it an IEP team? Meaning, are the parents involved? Or do they get in, in, invited to this whole process good, from the get-go? They do or? get invited. Um, good question again. So with the set process, um, although the set process is really a process for good thinking, you know, a, a framework, so it's not an IEP process. Um, so, you know, it isn't that there are specific members that absolutely must be included beyond we really have to invite the LEA because at the end of a set process, there is always the possibility after you do the trials that somebody's going to have to buy something. <laughs> um, and we can't just spring that on a school district at the end. So, you know, we really do require that at least the LEA be there. And generally the teacher is at a set meeting. Um, the parents are always invited, invited and welcomed um, and encouraged to be there. Um, depending on the nature of the student's needs, we sometimes might have an OT or PT there. If there are really considerable access needs that we need those folks there to, to give their input, they may be there as well. Um, and of course, the speech language pathologist is, is generally <laughs> needs to be there as well. Um, but it's, you know, it, it, again, as it, it's not a, a legal process in and of itself. Um, but we will then go in and revise the IEP to say that a set process has been initiated and we are exploring technology. One question I had, and this is based on my experience in Oregon, not only working in the schools, but also in private practice, is the, the relative, um, I guess, decline of ESDs uh, compared to school districts that are starting to take on their own AT responsibilities or hearing responsibilities or vision responsibilities. Are you seeing that also where you work? Uh, I'm not, we're not seeing a tremendous amount. Um, we have 13 school districts. Only one of those school districts entirely has, has, you know, provided their own assistive technology person who then completely handles assistive technology. And then I guess they have some speech language pathologists that also are supporting AAC. So that one particular school district, they do provide their own supports. The other 12 in some form or fashion will employ us. It just depends on exactly what they need. Um, there, I've seen a little bit of movement towards, uh, there's one more school district that I, that I believe um, has hired someone who is starting to kind of learn the process. So 
you know, I, I don't know what that's going to look like in five, 10 years, whether that will become the norm where each individual school district will want to have their own folks, um, as opposed to using, a, you know, a regional service agency like the one that I work for. Um, not really sure. But for now, um, I actually, we just came out of a, an assistive technology team meeting. Um, that's where I was right before we started this podcast. Uh, and we were talking about, you know, how we are incredibly, incredibly busy, all of us. Um, so there is still quite a bit, a bit of need out there, um, right. specifically AAC related. Um, just so we have so many new referrals, so many existing students that we're supporting, we're, you know, modifying vocabulary or our access method or supporting teams where they're, you know, I think, you know, anybody that, that really has, is on the pulse of us augmentative communication knows that implementation, um, globally it can be very, very challenging everywhere. Um, right. and, you know, we know that there's some reasons for that. And in my mind, one of the biggest is, is the lack of aided language, but that takes training and practice and, and I believe coaching. Um, right. And that's where it becomes without coaching, we can do a training. We can have people come in and we can do a two hour training and explain why we need to do modeling and aided language. And, um, but just like we can't expect them, the students to learn without modeling, we really can't expect the folks in these teams right. to be supporting right. modeling if like they're what, not seeing me model it. Or, or what, what does an hour a week really do with us? What, you know, as opposed to, you know, the training and the coaching piece. Absolutely. But, Lauren, let me ask, have you seen, once you do, you've taken a team through this kind of, um, consulting role, like even if it's just a set framework where they're, they are choosing the tool and they spend the time figuring out a tool, um, do you find that there's been, uh, they don't call you the next time because it's like, okay, we got it. Rarely. We've, we've, Rarely. You know, or they, they still want their hands like held each yes. time. Yes. So, I, I think there have been, I can think of maybe just one, two, maybe two or three teams or, or individuals who really just take it and run with it. In most cases, it, you know, it's repeating each student. Um, and some of that is because, you know, each student is different. So, while they may have understood how the process went, they, they don't really, they're not really sure how to do the exploration. They're not sure what, you know, what tools are out there. They're not sure. Um, and again, because in many of these instances, I am, I have not yet been able to do this coaching type of process, whether it, you know, whatever protocol or, or method is used, um, they're not, they're not where they need to be in being able to support these kids. So, um, that that's that is the goal and the hope to build capacity so that they don't need me every time and when that happens it's awesome Um, but it needs to happen more do you foresee a day where that could possibly happen or is turnover just too great in in your neck of the woods where it's like oh man i just spent uh an entire year working with these paraprofessionals and this teacher and now they're they're gone they're gone and i gotta start all over and this kid's gotta start it happens um i just had a very this exact that exact situation where i did this you know kind of formal coaching procedure and um two of the ias left after it was almost done um and that happened you know, that's the nature of, you know, with, with folks that are paraprofessionals, they're, they're, you're not paid well enough. And it's, they're, you know, these classrooms can be really challenging. So we do see a lot of turnover. I think what is really going to be key is that even if we can't necessarily train the paraprofessionals as well, I think if we can really, really sufficiently train the teacher, 
that they then can be, mo- you know, they can then be, can be models for their own paraprofessionals. If, if they have a, you know, if they have a big giant core board in the front of their room and they're using it, the, the paraprofessionals that are, that come into that room are going to pick that up. You know, we pick up language because we're immersed. So if the teacher is immersing the paraprofessionals and the students, I think the paraprofessionals will get it. So I, I do think, well, I think paraprofessional training is awesome. Um, I think that it may be even more key to make sure those, because the teacher role, they're more likely to be stable and not having turnover. I I think that's even more crucial, but I I always, not only do I want to train paraprofessionals, whenever possible, I want parents and siblings. I mean, you know, siblings can be incredibly powerful. You, you know, you made the comment about how challenging these uh, these classrooms can be. I, I can't imagine doing anything else. I mean, do, do you feel like sometimes, like I know for my part, when I take interns, um, they always end up getting into grad school. <laughs> and then I'm disappointed. But that's great. I want them. But these are folks that are actually changing careers, what you've seen. Um, you mean the, the, the turnover? Yeah, right. Not necessarily. I mean, sometimes, you know, I've been in, you know, in certain classrooms where, you know, some of our, some of our kids have behaviors and, and those behaviors can be very challenging. And, and the folks that are coming through as paraprofessionals really have no prior training. They have, they have their clearances, um, but they really have no training in education, no training in special education, no training in augmentative communication. Um, and unless they really have this intuitive knack and love um, for the amount of, of, of pay that paraprofessionals can receive for how challenging some of these, you know, the behaviors that exist with some of those kiddos, um, they can just bolt. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just gets to be too too much for some of, you know, some of these folks and they, they go elsewhere to, to look you know, for a job. I think that's part of the hidden benefit of the training that you're offering, this kind of ongoing support, is the idea that, uh, like, right now, I don't even know what I'm doing when I come to this classroom. All I'm doing is trying to manage behaviors. But then you come in and you start providing some sort of ongoing support and training, and now you're heading in a direction. And there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's by by no means am I at the point where I feel that this is perfect. So I don't want you to think that I'm, you know, (laughs) you know, it is something that I am moving towards that I have started doing with a couple teams and when I have been able to actually implement a true coaching module or or model however you want to call it there is an absolute difference in the way that these folks are able to model for these I mean it is sure it is unmistakable but beyond the benefits for the students maybe there's benefits for those adults like I suddenly feel worth in what I'm doing because I didn't know what the heck I was doing before. I just knew I was waiting to try and not wait, uh, uh, trying to make sure behavior didn't blow out of proportion. But now I'm teaching, you know, I'm teaching language and I can look back at the beginning of the year and say, this couldn't, kid couldn't do any of this. And now they they can. I feel really, yeah, exactly. Rewarding. That's, that's why people tend to do these jobs, right? It's not for the high salaries because they want to help kids, you know? Exactly. Well, and that actually, that, that's nice because that leads into one of my questions that you, I think you'll be fine with this one, but sometimes it's a gotcha. But, you know, tell, tell us about one of the biggest success stories that you've had. Oh, one of the biggest success stories. Um, Ooh, it's a gotcha. I think, one of the, I think one of the biggest success stories in terms of, of looking from beginning to end in, in, how, um, in how a team has been able to model with, uh, you know, a particular student on their device was that, you know, I went through this, I, in this particular case, I used, um, 
the partner augmented input model, the s'mores model. Um, and it was just, you know, not only was I, I was training the teacher, but I was training the power professionals and particularly the power professionals seeing the difference in the way that they were able to interact and talk to this student, this particular student with that student's device and with their system. And just, you know, not only in understanding that they, how they should model, but also in just the amount of modeling that started happening because, you know, towards the end of the process, I'm sitting back a little bit more and, and giving more feedback rather than me actually modeling. Um, it, it was quite, and these, and these were, again, these were power professionals who had very little experience and it was, um, it was just, I kind of was hooked after, after I did the first, you know, really following, um, one of these, these protocols and seeing the difference. I was, I was hooked. This was, a this was a, a young, it was a student in, um, I guess he was in fifth grade last year. Um, just, you know, marked differences in, in the way the team was able to support the use of, of his particular app of, and just augmentative communication in general. Now, of course, you know, exactly what Chris mentioned, those two IAs both left the classroom. Lauren, what is um, driving your practice lately? What is uh, your natural curiosity leading to you? What are you most interested in learning more about right now? Gosh, um, my brain is often all over the place, but, um, you know, I, I think I am really mo most interested, you know, especially having a little bit of success with, with coaching, you know, how can I best support teams? What kinds of, and you talked about documentation earlier, you know, what kinds of, of forms can I, can I come up with for teams that are super easy for them to kind of take data and there, and then with these protocols, there are forms that come along with them, but you know, is there something that I, how can I customize them to the way that each of these classrooms runs? Because I think we know, we all know that each classroom is very different. You know, is it, what kind of classroom is it? You know, is it, is it autistic support? Is it an MDS classroom? If it's autistic support, is it, um, you know, is it an ABA class or is it, um, you know, is it a competent learner model, whatever they're following? I mean, we, I think what I see is, is the way that we interact with staff in each of these types of classrooms can be very different. And also their receptiveness to our suggestions can be very different based upon, you know, the whatever program they're in and, and the kinds of, of things that they've been asked to follow. So, you know, I think my biggest interest is continuing on this path of, okay, I really have figured out, and it's not just me, you know, through, through all the things that we read online and all the research that, you know, that aided language is key. And my, my goal is to continue on this path. How can I deliver to the people that I am supporting the best way for them to, to learn to do this? And then for them to, to be, able to build capacity so that they can then support people, you know, after I walk out of the room. Great. Great. That's perfect. And I think you already answered my, the question I like to answer or to ask finally, which is um, if you were to, if you could set up a billboard, right, that, that every SLP could read, what would you put on it? 
I really think that it would have to do with language acquisition and the, the need for modeling. You know, my, my other big, two big thoughts in, in the past couple of years about what is most crucial and what are the challenge, the, the biggest challenges I'm seeing in, 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 you know, where I am working. One of them is the lack of modeling. The other is the misinterpretation that a child with a couple of words is a verbal child. So that, you know, I don't know, that might be on my, you know, might maybe that my billboard, one of my billboards would be, you know, 20, 10 to 20 words does not make your student verbal, you know, you need to be thinking about, you know, how can you augment that while they are continuing to develop their language, their expressive language. When I want to clarify that, Lauren, are you saying like it's um, people will say, well, he's got 10 to 20 words, so therefore he doesn't need any sort of AAC. That, that, yes, good clarification. Yeah, so I, I many, many times I have teachers or, or even, you know, sometimes administrators, if they, if they have some experience with the child, well, that, that child is, why would you even consider a, a device? That child is verbal. But what they're talking about is that that child has some natural speech. But in many cases, when I go in, what I find is, yes, the child has some natural speech, and it may be very intelligible. However, it may be 90% echolalic which they're, they're not able to, to express, you know, what they want to say, when they want to say it, to whom they want to say it. Um, or it may be that, yes, they have some words, but they've got 10 or 20. We need, we really, you know, we need thousands to be able to, to express spontaneously what it is that we want to say. So, you know, even if a student has, you know, it's certainly not to say that we always want to support natural speech and that's that's our goal obviously um but we need to above all be making sure that our students have access to communication and if that means augmenting it um then that's what we need to do in until they are able to do what they need to do um through their natural speech if that will if they'll ever get there maybe they won't maybe they will and we you know we just keep working and hope that they will and if not we're going to do what they need yep expect that they will right yep exactly (laughs) That's one of my driving factors is, you know, that we we absolutely must presume competence, especially, you know, when I go into classrooms that are um, multiple disabilities, disabilities support types of of rooms where we have some of our most, most severely uh, impaired kiddos. I mean, how, how can you know what, unless you are providing robust vocabulary and and you are giving all kinds of experiences, how can you know what's in there? So, you know, we have to, we have to presume competence and, and go forward from there. Warren Enders, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. If you go to tech.speechscience.org, you'll be able to find a bunch more information on Warren as well as uh, links to her website and, um, you know, her really pretty incredible Pinterest collection. Uh, <laughs> I, I got to say, it's uh, it's a source of inspiration even to me, and I'm I'm the least of the Pinteresters. Um, <laughs> so uh, we'll have all that there. Um, and then please also feel free to contact us either at tech.speechscience.org or tech at speechscience.org because we'd love to hear your questions and comments. And if you have questions for Laura, uh, we're happy to pass those along as well. Well, welcome back once again to Talking With Tech. Um, I thought that was uh, an excellent interview. I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of Lawrence. Um, uh, you know, it, it really touched on a, a lot of really important stuff. Um, I love her and I just love that interview. I think she's just such a great 
She's just such a great therapist. I would love to just spend a week like alongside her watching her therapy because I've no doubt that I would be incredibly inspired. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. Lauren has been, she's just an all around nice person. There's a a fun story of years ago, a a conference actually called the AAC bootcamp that she and I were both at and I got really sick the day of. And um, she like stepped in with like, without even like, you know, me asking or anything and, and gave my presentation for me. So thanks, Lauren. I owe you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's a really like nice, that's a really nice thing to do. That's a- I know with like no prep and everything. I mean, that just shows you how much she has to share, right? Exactly. Um, but uh, so anyway, I mean, we're, we're thrilled to have had her on. We're really excited to hear your thoughts. So please do join us. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Talking With Tech. If you if you just look around, um, there's a, a page and a group, like I said before, as well as on Instagram, um, you know, pretty much all the social media or we're, we're I, at least I'm an addict, I think. Um, and then uh, we'd also, we'd love to hear your thoughts uh, by email. Please, uh, you know, feel free to drop us a line, uh, tech at speechscience.org. We're, we're always sharing stuff of our own too, right? I think Rachel, you're probably the day that you're hearing this, Rachel, you're, uh, you're giving a presentation down in California, right? I am. I will be speaking at Kasha and my, the name of my presentation is a mouthful of acronyms. It's beyond requesting AAC for ASD for the SLP. (laughs) Nice. So just like three acronyms, no big deal. Really intense. But yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to go to Sacramento. I've never been to Kasha actually. So I've been living in California for a few years now and never been to Kasha. So I'm really excited to go and to present and share, share some knowledge about, you know, implementing and assessing kids with autism for AAC. Yeah. Well, maybe those of you listening, if you're at Kasha too, uh, definitely go, go bug Rachel. That would make me happy from a distance because I can't go sadly. <laughs> um, but I've never been to Kasha either. And I hear that's one of the, the real big state conferences. So yeah, um, it's really, it's actually really big. So hopefully I'm a little nervous. Maybe it, I hope yeah. there's not too many people watching. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody listening, go. You have to go. Definitely don't. Go and heckle. <laughs> well, once again, this is uh, Lucas Stuber joined by Rachel Madel. Thanks so much for listening today to Talking With Tech. Um, like I said, check us out online. We'd love to hear your thoughts uh, you know, on Warren and anything else. I'd love to hear your questions as well. And we will talk to you next week.